0: Join me in prayer right now. Lord, I thank you for your presence that is certainly here. And I'm asking that you would reveal yourself to us in a new way, in a fresh way, in a clear way. God, I pray that we would receive your love and your word and your message here today with open hearts, with receptive hearts. Lord, I pray that all of us would understand how sacred our sexuality is, that we would truly grasp the sacredness of how you've made us and how you've called us to live. And as we dive into a topic that is such a debated one and, and one that has fought, canceled so much in our culture, Lord, I just pray that you'd give us grace here today to receive, to learn, to hear what you have for us and to learn as your people how we should respond in this topic. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. We're starting a new series today and it's called Asking for a Friend. And so in this series, we're going to address some important topics, controversial topics, maybe you might even call taboo topics, things that you may not always hear in a church, but we feel it's very important for us to look at these topics and address these topics. And so we're going to look at abortion, we're going to look at um, politics, we're going to look at uh, gender identity and sexuality, and today we're going to look at the topic of homosexuality. And so what should a Christian believe about homosexuality? asking for a friend. Get it? Because these are all things that you hear people talking about, and and so maybe you're like, I want to ask, but it's, it's not about me. No, I'm just asking for a friend here. So let's talk about some of these important topics because our friend wants to know, right? So what should we believe about homosexuality? And I think we're in a very important moment in history as a country, as a people of God, as a church, and We're being pulled in lots of different directions on lots of different topics, this being one of them, and there is a war going on in our culture regarding homosexuality, have you noticed? And it's not just in culture, it's in the church now. So did you see, two weeks ago, Pope Francis came out, the Pope of the Roman Catholic Church came out, and he actually said that they could possibly bless same-sex unions, which is a deviation from their official stance. Now, they haven't changed their official stance on what marriage is between a man and a woman, but he has verbally, and even in a written letter, given permission for different places, different bishops and archbishops, whoever, cardinals, that they could actually give a blessing to a same-sex union. And so it'll be interesting to see where does this go within the Roman Catholic Church. There's a lot of Christian churches that have become very affirming of the gay lifestyle and of homosexual unions. And there's a lot of pressure for other churches to do the same thing. And so I think this is an important topic for, for you and I to really wrestle with, to think through, to talk through, to pray about, and to, to study. Because what should we believe about this? How should we respond to this? There's a lot of people outside the church, and there's a lot of homosexuals that have this preconceived notion that Christians are just anti-gay, and they're homosexual haters. And to be fair, that's our fault. Like how we responded for decades in this topic, we created this issue. The church is known more for what we're against than what we're for. And I pray that that begin to change. I think it has in the last decade as we've kind of changed our tune and realized our posture was not good in regards to this topic. And so it's beginning to change, but it's gotta continue. We've gotta continue to pray and look at this topic because it's so, so important. So what should we believe about homosexuality? And I recognize as we dive into this topic here, there's different groups represented that are listening to this message. The first group, some of you might think, oh no, I showed up on this day? Like, seriously? It's, it's gay day. And I showed up at church on gay day. And you're like, I don't know about this. Like, what's going on at this church? is weird. And so maybe you feel that way. It's, it reminds me of this friend of mine. He and his brother, they dropped uh, his brother's daughter, who just gotten married, off at the airport because they're going on the honeymoon. So this is right after the wedding. Him and his brother dropped them off at the airport, and they're driving the actual car that belonged to the couple. So the the car said, just married, it was all decked out, streamers, and all that. They dropped off the airport and they, as they're driving back through town, they found themselves somehow accidentally stuck through traffic that was just kind of weaving, you know, telling people where you can go and can't go. They found themselves in the middle of a gay day parade. And so here they are, two guys in a car. This is just married, all decked out. And they find, and all, everybody around them is like, "Yeah!" And so my friend he thought this is hilarious. He rolled down his window and he's like, "Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you." And his brother was mortified. He's like hiding in the front like just like, "Oh, I can't believe you're doing this." Like, you know, and it's just a hilarious longer story than that. But maybe you feel like his brother like, "I can't believe I'm here on this day." There's a second group that's here and you you are really interested in this. Maybe as a person of faith, you want to know how should I respond? And what should I believe? Because there's a lot of confusion in this topic out there. But then there's a third group. And for those of you that are in this group, it's personal. And I really want to speak to you and encourage you today. It's personal. Maybe you have a friend, a dear friend or family that say they're homosexual. Maybe you yourself are a homosexual. If that's the case, I'm so glad you're here. Um, some of you, you, you've struggled with this, and you maybe have dabbled with this, and you haven't wanted to, but you just feel a, a leaning towards this for whatever reason that you can't explain, and so you could fall into any of those groups where it's just very, very personal to you, and I want to speak to you today, and I pray that I can give you some hope, and I, and I want to approach this with humility. I recognize I would not be the foremost speaker as a white male married with kids that would speak on this topic, but I learn, I listen, I have friends and family in this, I study. I want to bring you a humble and very thoughtful and educated, studied presentation today, if you want to call it that. I want to speak to every group, whatever group you find yourself into, I want to speak to all of you because I think it's important that all of us are able to think About this and talk about this in an educated way, in a loving way, and in a compassionate way. So, so important. Traditionally, this is how the conversation has gone, which is why it went so bad for so long. You choose a side, Christian side, gay side, and then you just yell at each other. That's what happened for far too long. And that's why the church has found itself where it's at regards to this topic. So, as a believer, if you are a follower of Jesus, a believer in him. How do you approach somebody? How do you have these conversations with someone who says they're a homosexual? What do you say to them? And this is how I like to start out. I think it's appropriate for for me, for us to say, hey, first of all, I just want you to know I'm so sorry for how the church has treated you. Would you please forgive us for that? And I think it's important to approach this topic with humility, not understanding all the nuances of it, not just wanting to judge people, but just with humility. You realize that prideful throwing around of scripture just builds walls and hurts people and it shames people. Humility builds bridges. And that's what we need. I think it's important to start that way. And then, I just want you to know, no matter what, I love you no matter your lifestyle, how you live, I honestly love you. The third thing I like to say is, hey, just because I disagree with you doesn't mean I don't love you. And this is where it can get difficult today, especially as we live in a very postmodern society where you know, truth is very subjective, it's, it's relative, it's whatever you believe and all that. And so what's happened in postmodernism is if you disagree with somebody, then you must be against them. And there's no way you can love somebody and disagree with them. And for some reason, people have fallen into this trap of, if you don't agree with me, you don't love me. You must hate me, but that's not true. Just ask any married person. You can love somebody and still disagree with them. And that can happen a lot. There's so many times I disagree with my wife, and then I realize that I'm wrong. But (laughs) we still love each other, even in disagree. It's possible to love somebody and still disagree with them people struggle with this today though and it's important that we learn how to have healthy relationships where we can actually live that way like i disagree with you but i love you and i don't want to cancel you because i disagree with you that's what cancel culture is right you disagree with me so gone and unfortunately it's not just a cultural thing it's in the church like we got people that just leave churches because they believe somebody something different than me like seriously you think that we saw it in covid guys You think that about masks? I'm not going to worship with you anymore. I'm going to another church. You think that way politically? Like, seriously, like, friends that lived together and did life together and community together for years, all of a sudden they realize we have different political leanings. Well, forget you. I don't want you to be a part of my life anymore. I'm going to a different church. And we cancel each other, even within the church. And it was a bad witness. So it's okay for us to Disagree. You may disagree with everything that I say today, but we can still love each other, and that's okay. So just because I disagree with you does not mean I don't love you, and I just always like to bring it back around. I just want you to know, no matter what, I really do love you. And that's how I lean into conversations and relationships uh, like this. So here's the deal. If that person is not a believer, you and I have no right to judge them. We have one obligation. We have one command, and that is to love them. That is the calling on our life, okay? And and I pray that you and I would be a people, that we would be a people. This church would be a church where people are loved and accepted and welcomed no matter who they are, no matter what their orientation is. We want this to be that type of a place, and thankfully, we have been that type of a place for the most part and have people that have been a part of our community, and we want people to feel loved and accepted here. And we want to help people grow closer to Jesus. Not through their ups and downs, through their struggles, even through our disagreements, we want to keep pointing people to Jesus because I just happen to believe that He loves us. Like, I believe what Jesus said God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save it. Like, God didn't send Jesus into the world to condemn the world, and he's not sending you and I into the world to condemn the world either. So this is the starting place right here. It's, it's, it's love. We start with love because God loves us. He loves you so much. And I think it's important that you know this. He loves you no matter what. And I love that about, love, about God, that he loves me no matter what I do. And so how do we even handle this as we talk to our kids about this? And then help them wrestle through all of this. I think the starting point is love. You need to train your kids, disciple your kids, and, and, and all your friends and relationships. Please know this, God loves you no matter what. And when that becomes solidified in our hearts, like I know that God loves me, not just intellectually, but like experientially, spiritually. I have revelation of who God is and that he loves me then I'm really able to trust and obey Jesus in every area of my life. But if I don't believe that he loves me, there's no way I'm gonna do things that go against what I feel like doing in any area of life. So the starting point is love, love. We wanna make sure that our kids, our our teenagers, young adults, we just wanna just pour like, hey, no matter what, I just want you to know, I love you and God loves you. And that's the starting place. all of us, but there's some real questions that people have in regards to this topic of homosexuality. Is it really wrong to be a homosexual? How can it be wrong if God created them that way? Should I really care that our government legalized gay marriage? And what's the big deal with gay marriage? If two people really love each other, shouldn't they be allowed to express it And then this one is even more difficult, but who are you to say two people that love each other can't get married? So you ready to look at these and tackle these here? Uh, To be honest, this message ended up being an hour and a half long. So if y'all wanna pull up Grubhub right now and just order some Grubhub, get some Jimmy John's and Chipotle in the house, we'll just hang out here for the next hour and a half. What I decided to do is what happens often for us, I'm going to make this a two-parter. And so today's this foundation. How do we approach this? What's the foundation of this? And we're going to come back and hit this actually next week. And I think this topic is important enough to hit for two weeks. There's so much to address. Even in two weeks, I can't address all of it. But if we're talking controversial topics, this might be the most controversial one. Homosexuality. How do we address this? How do we handle this? How do we answer all these questions? Again, I think you and I need to have thoughtful and compassionate responses to all of these questions. What you believe about homosexuality, I think it matters. Your theology matters in all areas of life, right? And so we've got to be learned, educated, and studied people. And as believers, if we're not careful, we can be more discipled by the culture than discipled by the Christ. And so we want Jesus to inform us in our thinking, in our actions, in our lifestyle, in our words, in our beliefs, and our theology. We want to look to Jesus. I think it's important to go to to his word and look at his word. Like I've said for years, I want to think more biblical than I do American. I want to think more biblical than I do culturally. And kind of as a side note, the global church of Christianity looks at the Western church, especially the American church, and they're like, what is going on? This topic of homosexuality is not debated in the church globally at all. It's not even an issue. But within the Western culture, it is very much debated, not just within culture now, but within church culture. And so that just should cause us to take notice. The stance on homosexuality was always the same in every pocket of Christianity, in Orthodox churches, in Roman Catholic churches, in Protestant churches, all evangelical, all the different denominations, all of them up until 50 years ago took the same stance. It's like we will not affirm gay marriage or or that lifestyle. Now, all of a sudden, this is creeping in. It's become a very, very popular and important topic. So I think it's important for us to look at this. So here's the... Fundamental question in this conversation. Here's really what we're looking at. What is marriage? That's really what this is. What is marriage? And how do you define marriage? Because how we define marriage, then, that gives us the direction we're going to go with our life and our beliefs and our conversations, right? So what is marriage? Marriage. Now, a couple sub questions to that that are just as important is where did I get my definition from? And does scripture support this definition? I think that's an important one because I happen to be a pastor of a Bible believing church, which is not shocking to any of us. Right. You showed up here. You know, that's probably going to be the angle we're going to go in a setting like this. Because someone could easily look at me and say, well, you got an agenda. And that's true. I do. But so do you. We all do. We all have a little bit of agenda in everything we approach, right? So there's a little bit of that for all of us in everything. But I will promise you that I I listen to all sides on this. And I have friends and family. It's like I really want to give you a thoughtful approach to this topic as best as I can in humility. So I'm going to take the direction of let's look up scripture has to say. And here's why. I just happen to believe that this is the authority on morality right here. Now, you and I have to have a place that we go to that is the authority on morality, but actually a lot of people don't have a place they go to. They just look to popular opinion or whatever their own personal opinion is. If you don't have a place that you go to for the authority on the decisions of morality, then it's just whatever you feel like. And again, that's postmodernism, whatever feels good to me. You believe your truth, I'll believe my truth. And they may be completely opposite, but it's fine. You do your thing, I do my thing and all of that. And so that's what postmodernism has brought into, uh, along with a whole host of other things that is really, Caused a slippery slope that we're beginning to go down when it comes to the topic of homosexuality and same-sex marriages and all of that. Because we've opened the door now to saying, well, it's okay for this and it's okay for this, and then where does it end? Now there is an agenda, and it's no there's no secret that there is a homosexual agenda or a gay agenda. It's not a secret, it's published in books. You can find it all over the internet and in books in your library. Uh, It's really, really started in 1969. We might get into more depth than this next week, but in 1969, there was an event that happened in Greenwich Village that shocked the world. And since then, some people got together and they really began to develop what is called the gay agenda. And their goal was this, and still is. We want to make the gay lifestyle normal for everybody. Even if they don't choose it or are not in it, we want everyone to think it's normal. And so for decades, that has been their agenda. Again, no secret. This isn't conspiracy theory. This isn't my opinion. This is just fact that's out there. And so there is agenda, and you and I are the product of a culture war. We're victims of a culture war, whether we realize it or not. And so what they've done through the years is they have made this to feel more and more and more and more normal in our culture And now even within church, some people are like, oh, well, maybe this is okay. And then you got people saying, well, the word homosexual was never even meant to be in the Bible. Which we'll look at that next week. But what the homosexual community will say is this has actually gone farther than we ever anticipated. Because now we have to be inclusive of all this other, you know, trans, queer, uh, uh, two-spirit, pan-gender, all this, there's all these other things, it just continues to be more and more and more and more, like, the, the list is, is not gonna stop at everything, we have to be inclusive, and even homosexual community will say, it's gone a little farther than we thought, and we anticipated, we just wanted to be accepted, and have legal, civil, same-sex unions, that's all they wanted, and now it's all this other stuff, and you got people now in the last couple of decades that are getting married to animals, they're getting married to inanimate objects, a lady is married to the Eiffel Tower. And so, I mean, again, it, it's, it's, it's important that we don't just laugh and scoff at these things. But we just think these, these are genuine people who think this is okay. And so we want to build bridges, not build walls. And, and just know that just people are doing this. And so how do we approach this? How do we handle this? And so the question is, how do we define marriage? How do we define marriage? Today's culture would say this. Marriage is a romantic union between two consensual adults. Or it's a legal union between two people that love each other. It'd be something along that lines. That's what, how culture would define marriage today. And so then even a lot of people are like, yeah, what's wrong with that? It's fine. If it's good for them, it's good for them. But I think it's important we also go to the Bible. What does the Bible say? Because again, I think this is the authority on morality. Like I ha- happen to believe, like Pastor Amy said earlier, that Jesus, he, he lived on this earth. Like no one can argue that. And he lived a sinless life though. He died a criminal's death on a cross for our sins, but then he rose from the dead showing to us he is God. I think it's important we look at Jesus and everything that he taught us and he, he points us back to scripture. And, and, and so we've got to look at, What he says, and we got to look at at this book here. So what does the Bible have to say? And so let's go to Genesis chapter one. Genesis one, verse 27. Says that so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then you jump over to verse, or chapter two, Verse 20, uh, what is that? 21, 24, 21. need my glasses. 21, yep. (laughs) You get a little bit deeper description of the creation account in chapter two here. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep while the man slept. The Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, this one is bone for my bone and flesh for my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. Come on, isn't that the good life right there, huh? Naked and unashamed, right there. That's how God designed it originally. All right, so Adam sees man, or sees, sees woman, sees Eve for the first time, and he says, okay, there she is, all right, that's the one. And he says, bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. This is a statement of equality. It's actually a statement also of difference, So when you look at what is marriage, sex difference is an important aspect of what marriage is. And so the biblical definition of marriage would essentially be this. It's a man becomes joined to his wife, and they are united into one. That's the biblical definition of what marriage is. Okay, now let's fast forward all the way to Jesus. What does Jesus have to say about this? Let's go to uh, Matthew chapter 19, which is what we just looked at a few minutes ago. But it's interesting, Mark 10 Matthew 19, Jesus is asked a question about divorce. And he could have just simply answered the question. This is what divorce is, this is what I think about divorce. But Jesus took an opportunity to strategically give us his opinion, his definition of what marriage is. And what he did is he pointed us back to Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, the very scriptures that we just looked at. So, Matthew 19, some Pharisees came and tried to trap him with this question Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? Haven't you read the scriptures? Jesus replied. They record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. Genesis 1. And he said this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is united or is joined to his wife and the two are united into one since they are no longer two but one let no one split apart what God has joined together. So then he quotes Genesis 2 and he says this is this is how God has set it up. So isn't that interesting? He's asked a question about divorce but what he gives us is his definition of marriage and he points us back to the beginning all the way back to the beginning of time where God put the institution of marriage together. And I think it's important for you and I to also go back to the very beginning of time when we're talking about what on earth is marriage. And here's what we learn. God doesn't just define marriage differently than culture. He is the creator of marriage. And this is so important, guys, We understand this. Because if marriage is a man-made thing, then it doesn't matter what we do with it. If we thought this up because like, hey, I don't know, it sounds kind of good. I just want to be with someone for the rest of my life and just enjoy that relationship with them in every aspect. And we thought it up and we created it, then we are free to change it and make it whatever we want. But if God is the creator and the author of marriage, then we have to look at how he set it up. And we've got to trust him and his ways for what marriage really is. Really important. And so this is where you can even discuss with people like, well, who, who, how did marriage start? What's the purpose of marriage? Why does it exist? Now, I know most people who don't believe in God, they're going to really forever struggle with the, this definition of marriage because they don't care what the Bible says. And that's fair. I get that. They're going to care mostly about what popular opinion is or, again, what their opinion is. But here's the issue. There's a growing number of Christians and churches that are now affirming the gay lifestyle and gay marriage. And this is where the tension continues to grow for the church. How do we as a church within Christian culture respond to this? And I believe that a starting point is this. We look at a definition of marriage. Why does it exist? But also... Can we just agree that we are called to submit ourselves to the lordship of Jesus Christ in every area of our life? Let's just start there. However we're going to interpret the scripture, let's make sure that we are in the lordship of Christ. Like, he is my lord, he's my king, he's not just my savior who saved me from death and hell, but I have a relationship with him. He is alive in my life, I'm alive because of him, and I'm going to be with him forever forever. So, and we're thankful for that too, by the way, right? Amen. So, we've got to submit ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in our sexual area of life, but really in every area of our life. But here's the deal our sexual ethic has become very difficult for Christians today. Very difficult. uh, this access to sexual pleasure is easier than ever. So it's been harder for Christians to live holy and pure lives. And so really it becomes down, it comes down to this issue. Am I really able to trust Jesus in this area of relationships and sexuality and all these other areas of my life? Okay, can I trust Him with this area of my life? Now remember, starting place is this God loves you no matter what. Don't forget that. God loves you. And me, no matter what we do, his love for us is not conditional. It is unconditional. It never ends. And so when people say that God is anti-gay or he's a gay hater, that is so unbiblical. Because God just loves everybody. But then he has some standards and some callings. And and, and he's, he's called us to live according to his ways and to trust him and live according to the boundaries that he's set up. And what's amazing is when you and I do that, that life can go so much better for us. So I got a friend who lives here in town, and she's homosexual, and she's a believer in God. She's a Christian, loves God, loves Jesus, and she recently just found out two months ago that her church is not affirming of her lifestyle. She was crushed. I remember talking with her that day, that actually that night, she had just had the meeting a couple hours ago, and she was in tears just telling me, like Tyrone, I, I had no idea. I love my church. I'm crushed. She felt kind of deceived because she'd been there for years. I don't know how many years, but just years, and like now all of a sudden she's finding out. And my heart went out to her. I'm like, I get it, I'm so sorry. And she said, What does your church believe on this? What's your stance on this? And so I was honest with her in that moment. I said, we're going to take the same stance that your church is taking. Because I know her question was, can I come to your church and be affirmed? But I had to be honest in that. She knows I care about her. I love her. I respect her. I'm going to continue to have conversations with her about this. But I said, you know, we take the traditional biblical stance in homosexuality. And, you know, she was really disappointed by that, but really still just broken and hurt over her current situation. And that situation is taking place over and over and over again right now in our culture. It's all around us. And I think it's important we lean into those relationships with love. We've got to. As I reflected on that conversation, I thought, man, I wish I would have said, will you really take the stance of Jesus? Just point it, not just to Bible, but to Jesus. Because I want to really start Taking that angle, like I just take the stance that Jesus took, and so I just believe his teachings, and you know, it's it's all about Jesus, isn't it? You know, especially as a, a fellow believer who she believes in Jesus, we would agree on that. It's all about Jesus. But this is happening all around us. Our kids are growing up in this right now. They're growing up with friends. They're being taught. Uh, in, in, by like teachers, especially in university, like this is normal, this is okay. How do we handle this? Our response has to be one of love and compassion. Yeah. We're never gonna argue anybody to agree with us. Right. Right. It's never gonna happen. We're never gonna be, uh, be building bridges by demeaning people yeah. and putting them down and throwing out gay jokes. Uh, there are some people who feel attracted to the same sex and they actually pray for God to take it away. They just, for whatever reason, feel this propensity to it. Like, I had this leaning towards this, but I don't want it, but it's there. And and so can we have grace and compassion on those people enough to say, "I'm, I'm with you. Let me walk with you through this. Is that okay? Is that okay if it ends up being one of your kids? Can we love people enough just to walk with them through issues like this in life? There are those who would say, I am homosexual, and I want to continue this, but I also want to believe in Jesus. How do we handle that? There's many who've been around the church, been around Christians, and they've heard the jokes, they've heard the bashing, and now they want nothing to do with church, or Jesus, which should break our heart. Because the whole goal is to bring people to Jesus, right? Not to get people to agree with everything that you believe. Not to have everyone have the same opinion that you and I have, but it's to point people to Jesus. So again, back to our mission. We are called to love people, live like Jesus, and lead others, not to my opinion and agree with me, but to Jesus. We're leading others to him. This is the goal. I pray that you and I can live this out, that we can just be people who bring people to Jesus. We, we live like Jesus so much so that we can see Stories like what's happened to Tony. Like, I want to see that over and over and over and over again. Like, I I need to get right with Jesus. I need to follow Jesus. Just because we're being Jesus everywhere we go. Our goal is to point people to Jesus. He is the goal. And here's what's amazing about Jesus. Here's what I love about him. Like, Jesus, he raised the bar in regards to sexual ethics. And people still loved hanging out with him. Like, this is the genius of Jesus. You read about Jesus... And he has a high standard of how he's called you and I to live. (laughs) Yet people still loved hanging out with him. Go and read through Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It's the Sermon on the Mount. It basically is Jesus' message on this is what the kingdom is. You want to know what the kingdom of God is all about? You want to know what the kingdom of God is like? Matthew 5, 6, and 7. The Sermon on the Mount gives us the kingdom. And in that, Message on the kingdom, Jesus raises the standard, even Old Testament standards. Hey, you've heard it was said that you love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Jesus is like, nope, wrong. Love your neighbor, but also love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. That's in the Sermon on the Mount. Like he raised, he elevated the bar. And so then he also says this. You've heard it said, I heard the commandment that says, you must not commit adultery. But I say, anyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. He's raising the bar. He's raising the standard. You see it all throughout the Sermon on the Mount. And then really the whole point is, none of us can live this out with perfection. That's why we need Jesus. We need to walk in his grace and also be people who give grace to other people as they're learning to walk in the grace of Jesus. We all need Jesus. And it's only through him... And his spirit alive in us that we can grow to become more and more like him we can actually live like jesus we'll never achieve the standard perfection but jesus did raise the bar and yet he was known as a friend of sinners and he hangs out with all these people that religious people couldn't stand they looked down upon them they made fun of them they made jokes about them yet jesus hung out with them in fact right after the sermon on the mount you know what happens Jesus runs into a leper and he doesn't cast that leper aside like everybody else does. He touches the leper and heals the leper. And then he runs into a religious leader, or no, actually a Roman officer. Some of the religious leaders didn't like. Most Jews didn't like the Roman officers. And the Roman officer says, my servant needs your healing touch. And Jesus heals the Roman officer's servant. Like all these people far from God loved Jesus and they came to Jesus and he heals them and he meets them right where they're at you go to the next chapter that two chapters after the sermon on the mount Jesus looks at a tax collector he says hey Matthew come follow me and be one of my disciples most Jews would be like that is stupid how dare you look at a tax collector and call him to be like he can't he doesn't deserve to be a, a disciple of yours, Jesus. He says, no, this is the kingdom. This is how we live. And Matthew, who, by the way, we've read a lot of Matthew today <laughs> from Matthew, the disciple. Matthew dropped everything as a tax collector and followed Jesus as a disciple of Jesus. And it just shows us Jesus loves everybody. He calls everybody, no matter who you are, no matter what you uh, decisions you've made, no matter what your lifestyle is, he is calling you to follow him as his disciple, just like he called Matthew, come and follow me. And what's cool is then later on, you see Jesus at Matthew's house, hanging out with all the tax collectors and all these people, again, that other Jews and Christians didn't associate with. Jesus continued to have a high standard of ethics and morality, but everybody loved to hang out with him. And I think He's calling us to have the same, to live the same way. So what we want to do is this, guys, is we just want to be people who point people to Jesus. He is our message. He is what this is all about. He is what life is all about. Our message, it's not primarily justice. It's not primarily Morality or behavior or ethics. Our message is Jesus. And so we point people to Jesus. Say, hey, hey, let's just go to Jesus and he's gonna help us work all this out. And here's the call to Jesus. Here's his call. He says, hey, come to me. Come to me. Come follow me. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear. And the burden I give you, it is light. Now, this is something all of us need to receive right now. Because so many many of us, we've been trying to live up to this standard of perfection and just this image we're trying to put up and we made it all about behavior and changing our behavior uh, but Jesus says come to me and I'm going to help you let go of all of that that's a heavy burden let go of your burden that you've been carrying because it's making you tired and weary the burden I'm going to give you it's light and you're actually going to find rest as you walk with me and come to me in this. See, too many of us we've yoked ourselves up to things in our life. We've attached a yoke is something we attach ourselves to. We've agreed with. We've we've kind of made it a part of our life. Uh, we believe in it. It's a belief system. It's, a, it's it affects our lifestyle. All this. We've attached ourselves to something that is weighing us down. And so often it's things that are unbiblical. It's lies from the enemy. It could be how you're living out your sexuality right now. It could be you're, just, you're carrying all the anxiety and the stress and you're trying to carry it all yourself. And she says, no, let it go. You're, you're tired, you're weary. Take my yoke. Attach yourself to me. Walk with me. Because what I have for you is light and it is easy. Here's the amazing thing, guys, is when you and I align ourselves with Jesus and we make him the Lord of every area of our life, Even the sexual area of our life, here's what we find His yoke is easy, His burden is light. Because walking in obedience to Jesus brings this freedom and this joy and this life that we are designed to experience. When we walk in disobedience, I I promise you, we've all, all experienced it. You're gonna feel heaviness, you're gonna feel this weariness because we're outside of the boundaries of how God has called us to live. And so we walk in obedience. I wanna stay inside those boundaries of who God has called me to be and how he has called me to live. And in that, as I walk in obedience, in his grace, his burden is light, his yoke is easy, and I can find rest. Come on, do you need that today? No matter what you're dealing with, come on, Jesus has rest for you. Would you stand to your feet right now? We're gonna pray.